What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Then and Now Sports Podcast. We got James and Nick back here with another episode. What's going on, Nick? We are back after such a long hiatus. That that long one to two week layoff. We're finally back, and I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, we kind of we weren't on our game the past couple of weeks. We've been kind of juggling work, internships, and trying to even think of ideas for podcasts and articles and stuff like that. We're gonna try to be we're gonna be better with this. So we're also gonna stay more active on social media and all that stuff. So make sure to keep following us and keep listening to and reading because we want to start putting out more articles as well. But if we can do attitude. It's not can do, it's will do. Wow, even better. Love the optimism. Yes. Let's go. Let's let's pray it will work out. (laughs) So let's Let's get back into sports now. As this is what we're all about here. And yesterday, a big day in college football as they prepare for their season to kick off pretty shortly in the next week actually. They dropped the AP releases their top twenty five teams. Now I'll go through the teams pretty quickly. Uh, no surprise at the top with Clemson and Alabama. To follow them, you got Georgia at three, Oklahoma four, Ohio State at five, LSU six, Michigan seven, Florida eight, Notre Dame nine, and Texas is indeed back at number 10. Then if you want to go outside of the top 10, some notable teams, you had Oregon, they ranked Oregon at a number 11, Penn State at 15, the former national champs, Central Florida at 17. Michigan State at 18, Wisconsin 19, and then a team even like Nebraska, who had a losing record last year, sneaks in at 24, who I guess they have high optimism for their season. So, Nick, did you see anything from this top 25 list that surprised you, something you agreed with, disagreed with? Let's hear some takes about this top 25. Well, when it comes to the top 25, I want to talk about... The teams that when I, I looked at them on the list, it kind of made my eyes pop a little bit or it kind of made me raise an eyebrow. And first, we'll start off with the, the Florida Gators, because I think they're they're kind of in a limbo in a way like they're getting a lot of attention. But at the same time, I, I'm not seeing a lot of people in, in in terms of just like regular fans talking about them as a serious contender. I mean, they have a lot of returning players. Um, there's a lot of optimism from what I've seen through um, through media reports about um, Felipe Franks taking the next step as a quarterback this next year. They have an offensive line, which was one of their issues last year, that's been redone and refurbished with a combination of returning players with more experience and and new prospects coming in that can take take up the mantle, and protect this QB. So I think that's going to be an interesting team to watch. We're going to see if they can they can sneak their way up into that, not even the playoff um, the playoff picture, but at least the playoff conversation. They're at that eight seed for a reason. So that's one team. If and- I could jump in real quick, I just think it's crazy how one spot ahead of them is Michigan, a team who they smacked up last year. In bowl season. I can't remember which bowl off the top of my head to be honest. Might have been like the Fiesta Bowl or something like that. But Florida smacked up Michigan. And then Michigan goes on to lose a lot of key defensive players. And somehow they're still ranked ahead of Florida. I don't know. I feel like if it's a preseason ranking, 
not to say that Michigan won't be a, a good team this year, but wouldn't you think the team that clearly established they were the better one last year and kept a lot of their its core together? They they lose Jakai Polite and a couple other key guys, but I feel like they kept a lot of. You said Felipe Franks; he's going to be a pretty solid quarterback this year. They kept him, and a Michigan team who loses. Uh, Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary, and uh, wow, can't believe I forgot Devin Bush's name for a second, but they lose those three, and I don't understand how Michigan's ranked above Florida. Um, well, I can see it because I think there's, it, I think it has to do with the competence of like the the programs. I'm pretty sure, like, it, it if you look at Michigan's like track record over the past few years, um. Jim Harbaugh has done a great, like a great job with that, uh, with that program and building it up to be one of the elite programs. Just coming up short of the, um, the playoffs every single year, basically. So, like, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to judge it because Florida has been in that realm of like a pretty good team, a pretty good team in the ever ever since like Urban Meyer days. They they've been in that like limbo of oh, this is a solid to good team, but not among the elite programs in the in the United States. So, yeah, I th- I think that's where the ranking comes from, but I get your point about the just the sheer amount of talent on each team. Yeah, so Florida, Florida even has an All-American this year where Michigan is one of the two teams who, in uh, regards to the AP, doesn't have an all preseason All-American on their team, and Florida does have one. So I, it, it's a really small thing. I think Michigan's still going to be a good team. They bring back uh, Shea, uh, Shea Patterson, and a guy I think is going to push him. I saw there was some very limited snaps of him last year, but I kind of liked what I saw. Dylan McCaffrey, Christian's brother, I think can actually step in and be a starter for them if necessary. And then they they bring in a freshman in Daxton Hill, who is the secondary piece, who they look at as being their possible next Jabril Peppers. This guy, Nick, ran a 4.340, and that is apparently it's confirmed. 4.340. So they're going to p- hope to put him in a Jabril Peppers type of, long, uh, type of role. You return guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones and Lavert Hill. There are some good pieces on this Michigan team, so I wasn't looking to throw them in the garbage or anything, because especially with an Ohio State team that loses Urban Meyer, Michigan now has the most experienced coach in that conference. So I would think that this is one of their best years to be able to take that step up. But I just think going into the season, if we're talking about preseason ranking, I just think a team like Florida probably should be ahead of Michigan. Also, one more note about Michigan before we move on. They also have a new offensive coordinator, which is pretty important because if we're talking about their weaknesses last year, their, their biggest weakness was at times when whether they were leading or they were trying to get themselves back into a game, they just at times their offense was just very stagnant and couldn't get anything yeah. moving. And they really took them out of games that they could have won. And maybe with that that fresh outlook on the on the offense, they're gonna have more success in that area. But I want to bring up the, another team. I know we're both gonna be excited to talk about, which I was gonna bring up right after, you know, Florida. So the University of Texas is back. 
And they're going to give Oklahoma a run for their money in the Big 12. Can we agree on that? Is that is that an agreeable? So I think I don't I don't think run for that money. I Oklahoma has been kind of a, this haven for quarterbacks lately with Baker and Kyler back to back years, and now they get Jalen Hurts. So Oklahoma will be an interesting team, but I think Texas all around is a better team than Oklahoma, and I think Texas is a team that could jump into the top four. There, if I had to make a prediction, which I think we'll do at the end of this. I think Texas is going to be a top four team. And I say this because of their schedule really gives them a, a solid opportunity to take advantage of. They get LSU at home at week two. And I think LSU is a great team. And I, I, I would look at this game as the winner of this is kind of in a driver's seat for a college football playoff spot. But that Texas is home for it. And I feel like they could even lose this game. And if they beat Oklahoma and you go into the end of the season as a 12 and one conference champion with your only loss being to LSU who has just a ridiculous oh, defense. Wait. Like I think, I think that's a pretty solid resume so, to build on. So you're saying that they're not going to lose a game against Oklahoma. That's a tough, that's a tough call because like, yeah, look this Oklahoma. It, I get that Texas's defense is better like I, I'll agree there. I think their sec- secondary is pretty solid, but that that pass rush is pretty suspect. And along with that, like you also you also have an experienced QB on the other side of the football in Jalen Hurts with Oklahoma. Like this man has been to championship games. He was at a championship game against Deshaun Watson, held his own at the age of eighteen. That's insane. This, uh, will he be a uh, a, a crazy like a crazy QB in the NFL. No, he's not going to be on that level. But in terms of college football, you cannot get much of a better product than Jalen Hurts on in that Oklahoma offense. That's that's an insane combination, and I would not sleep on them. Looking at this top four, this is probably the top four I would choose. Like like before the rankings even came out. If you ask me to choose like a top four before the season, this would probably be the top four. I would choose, um, you know, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma. They just seem like the most experienced teams with playoff experience wise. And they just have a, a load of talent as well. Uh, I, I can't really argue with it. So I agree, though. The talent on all four of those teams is pretty ridiculous. Even though that Oklahoma defense is very suspect and Alabama really lit them up in the semifinal game. And forget Alabama, everyone lit that defense up last year. I, um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they finished at the, like, literally the worst defense in the FBS or one of the worst in the FBS. Very so possible. It's, it's a real, it's, I don't know how much that defense has improved. But listen, you, I, I agree with all the points you said about Hurts. Hurts is really, especially that game last year when he comes in the second half against Georgia in the in the Georgia. Do- oh, no, I'm sorry. It's the Mercedes Benz Dome now. And That's the same bitch. place, the same place where Tua replaced him. He replaced Tua and goes on to lead them to win. Just an unbelievable story. So I am rooting for the guy. But you, you said you would choose these two top four teams, right? Mm-hmm. I. Yeah. I really, these teams on the outside really interest me a lot. And two of them are Ohio State and LSU. Ohio State is going to come back. They lose two big pieces, right? They lose Nick Bosa. 
and then they lose their quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Now, in come two new guys, and not new because one of them was with them last year, but you bring in Justin Fields as a transfer, and then you bring in Chase Young on, on the edge, who's going to replace Boza. So you pretty much have your replacement set, and you have your Urban Meyer replacement set, as Ryan Day was looked at as a great coach for, by he, I think he, he coached the first two games, I believe, last year. And did a pretty admirable job. And there was a lot of people saying that they think he's going to be a, a bright spot for them. So I think Ohio State is absolutely a team that should be reckoned with. And this LSU defense, man, it's it's a really sick defense. I think one of the best players in the country. I don't want to go as far to say the best player in the country. But he's really up there. Grant Telpit is just a stud. And he continues that. The DBU mentality of LSU is they just keep churning out great cornerbacks and safeties into the league. Then they have more guys. They have uh, a true freshman in Derek Stingley, who uh, a lot of people are happy about him. They th- he was a, I, one of the, I think he was the third best re- recruit in the top. Uh, I don't know which top 500 I was looking at or top 100, but he was the number one quarterback and a top three player on that. So that's definitely interesting to bring into that secondary that already has Grant Delpit at the safety position. And then you have a quarterback in Joe Burrow who, listen, it was definitely shaky at times last year, but I think towards the end, he was kind of riding the ship. And I just think this LSU defense is going to be very, very deadly. And then, of course, they like I said, that game against Texas is really big because if they put that win on their resume, a road win against Texas, you know, and maybe they stumble across finally beating Alabama this year. You know, Alabama has dominated the series for so long now. But if LSU can find a way to take down Alabama, the sky's the limit for this team. I feel like it's right in front of them for the taking. And it's just, is their offense going to be able to to manage the expectations? Because the defense is going to do their job. So the, the, the focus is going to be, can the offense do their job? Okay, so, like, I'm not going to disagree with any of what you're saying, but what you're saying is also a lot of hypotheticals, like, a lot of ifs. It is, it is. Uh, A lot of things have to go right for the teams you just mentioned to take that playoff spot. I'm not saying they can't. Um, College football always has surprises during the season. I would say, if, like, I I wouldn't say, like, oh, these top four teams are going to be the top four teams and not expect to be wrong by the end. That's just not how college football works. Like it's unpredictable for, for the most part, besides like, you know, Clemson and Alabama, it comes down to the wire. And by the time we're at the last week before playoffs, we're going to be having a bunch of arguments about who deserves to go in and who does, who doesn't deserve to go in. That's how it is every year. Okay. It's not going to change, but what it comes down from to me with these four teams that that are currently in the top four, like it's just the amount of proven experience they have in the in these championship scenarios. Like I said, draft Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, but even going past Oklahoma, you have Georgia, who has constantly who has shown to be able to be com- like competitive with Alabama in these big big games over the past few years. So they're definitely in the conversation automatically. And you have players coming back like Jake Fromm. They're, they're retaining a lot 
lot of their key pieces. Like some of those key pieces like DeAndre Baker are gone, but at the same time, some of those key pieces are still there and you have the framework to build around and still be an elite team. And then, like I said, you have Clemson and Alabama. Those are pretty much locks as long as everybody stays healthy. In before one of them misses the playoff for for something, but <laughs> but like those are pretty much locks. I don't think anybody at this point in like the college football year is gonna disagree with me that those two are gonna make the playoffs. Okay, some somebody could say well, it like, well, hold on now. Oh no, here we go. There might be someone you're talking to right now who thinks that one of these two teams can miss the playoff. Please, so, please enlighten me. On paper, there's no way they could. Clemson has five All-Americans on their team. Alabama has four. And both of them have All-Americans at quarterback. Trevor Lawrence was first team and Tua was second team. But it's just, So with Alabama, right? They're going to have to go through LSU. They're going to have to probably eventually go through Georgia. But they always Are have we, to. Yeah, but this year could be different, though. I think Georgia has, like... The past two years have just left the worst taste in their mouth. So close both both years. They had the game in their in their grasp both years, and they let it slip. So I don't know if Georgia's going to let that happen a third time. Some other key pieces I want to bring up they brought back. DeAndre Swift is going to take this. He's going to be, I think him and Tra- him, Travis Etienne, and Jonathan Taylor are going to fight for the best running back at it, that's actually a really crazy competition out of those three because they're all three extremely talented running backs. To see which one of those ends up being the best is going to be really fun to see. But Georgia brings back him. Andrew Thomas was also one of those All-Americans that they have. They have three All-Americans on their team as well, no slouches themselves. So if Alabama gets into this scenario where, hey, you have to beat Georgia to get into the college football playoff, I'm not 100% sure that Alabama is going to roll through Georgia. I don't think they're going to roll through Georgia, but I think it's, at least to me, it's clear that on paper, on paper, obviously, I got to preface that, that Alabama outmatches Georgia. Georgia's losing some defensive Mm -hmm. talent, and Alabama has one of the best receiving cores in college football. It's a good point. Like, and Jake Fromm, he's he's a good quarterback, but he's he's not an elite talent. Now, it, I don't know if you disagree with me on that. Like in terms of like pure throwing talent, pure arm talent, he's not among the elite quarterbacks. He he's still a great quarterback for what he is. He's a great game manager. He's a great decision maker with the football. But he's and he's still gonna go high in the draft probably too because he's just that good. But he's not. He's not on that same echelon as like a Tua or a or a Trevor Lawrence. Is that is is that a hot take? Like, what do you? No, no, I actually that? agree a hundred percent. I like Jake Fromm a lot, but I don't think he's. If I'm drafting the quarterbacks for next year, I'm definitely taking Tua over him, and I I can't think, maybe even Herbert to be honest. But Jake, wow, Jake Fromm is up there. But Trevor Lawrence doesn't come out till 2021. So, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. But, uh, yeah, I, listen, I think Alabama is a great team, and I think Clemson's a great team. But you also got to think about, does this championship fatigue ever catch up to them? Because, oh, I mean, maybe, I, listen, it's a <laughs> fair on. point. They play deep into the year every year, and I guess it, nah, you know what, I, I guess I'm talking myself out of it, because 
there's new faces that come and it's not the same team playing for the past four years that have been in this, yeah. this final four. So yeah, I'll talk myself out of that a little bit, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like if there's any year for one of these two teams to fall out, like you said before, a lot has to go right for Ohio State and LSU. I don't actually, I don't think a lot has to go right. I maybe I disagree with you there. I just think some things need to fall in place, but I think it's very plausible that those things do fall in place. It it can happen, and, but but when it, when some of those things include Alabama losing, possibly losing multiple games, it, among those things that need to happen, that that is a very tall order. How about this though? What if Clemson gets upset sometime this year? And that's not plausible. Listen, Deshaun Watson lost a game to Pitt one year. It happens to this Clemson team. No, yeah, no, those games then. happen. But, but like, so say this then. I, I go to you in November with a scenario where Clemson has one loss and Texas has one loss. They're both, uh, they are both conference championship winners. They both won their conference. Now, Texas, their loss is to LSU. And Clemson, their loss is to Duke, or I don't know who's on their schedule off the top of my head, but some random ACC team. You don't think Texas sneaks in in that scenario? Oh, man, you're, you're asking me to predict the committee. And okay, I know, try, but that's what I'm, I'm saying. Trying, like, I'm trying to think. It, it, that's the things you kind of got to think about when, okay, when you're I'm, doing I'll, these top yeah, fours. I'll, I'll try to enter the mind of the committee for you. I, I will honestly make an attempt. Okay, so if I was the committee... At the end of the year, both have one loss. But they don't. Apparently, the committee doesn't value conference championships at all. Like, like it's become very apparent over the past few years. I, I forgot the exact teams they screwed over because of the of conference championships or whatever. Or when they won a conference, I think it was Ohio State one year they won the conference championship. Everyone was like, "Oh, this team deserves to go in." I forgot exactly which year it was, but no, no, I think you're kind of backwards. I think Ohio State didn't win the conference championship. Oh, yeah, and they yeah, got in. Right. And then they were like, well, why didn't they, why did they get in when they didn't win their conference? Yeah, they are all over the place with that rule. Yeah. I agree. Okay, but if I was the um if I was the college football committee, I would I would look at this. I would look at these factors. I would look at the Texas defense first of all. If the Texas defense plays really good throughout the season, then it's more of a competitive. We have a kind of a feeling that the Clemson defense is going to maintain at least somewhat of the standard they have, but even though they have a lot of new phases coming in, I think the defense, the uh, it's still great game planning. It's still going to be a talented defense all around, and I think they're still going to be a solid defense all around. I don't think that could, because last year Texas's defense wasn't as good, and there are still question marks this year. It, it could happen that the Big Twelve lights them up just like every other year, and then that's something you put the edge for Clemson over Texas in that regard. And you would have to look at the one team they lost to. And what was your example again? So Clemson loses to some random ACC team. Some team that's like a middling, not a bad team, some middling team where they go 7-5 and five or something like that. And then Texas, they're lost to LSU, who ends up probably being a top 10 team. Okay, so there you would have to look at the, um, the, like the, the severity of the loss. So let's yeah. say LSU <laughs> blows like Texas out of the water with just defense, just suffocates them the entire mm-hmm. game and it's a real and then on the clemson side you have a very close game like i i can't see uh one of those middle ground teams blowing clemson out like that's that's very hard for me to believe i could see i could see that lsu texas game going either way texas blowing them out it being a very close game with a lot of defense it could go any way really it could go any possible way conceivable 
So when I'm looking at that, I would have to say that Clemson is more likely to get in still because of a combination of factors. I think they have less question marks about their team overall. And when I'm looking at the potential severity of the losses they can take, Texas has more has more likely of a chance to be dominated by one of these top tier teams or if they lose to an Oklahoma It'll just show how like fragile their defense is, and the committee is also going to take that to a crowd. But this is very, very early speculation, and I want to stop talking here. Well, you know <laughs> what? I'm gonna make you continue to talk because I have another scenario to throw at you. Oh that my is, god! That is some these November are so talk. these are so these are such BS well, scenarios. Guess what? It's August, and we got no football on TV. So this is what we got to do for now. But this one, I like this scenario too. <laughs> so Alabama and Georgia go undefeated in the regular season. All right? Wait, 12 what? and 0 each. Just let's in this hypothetical scenario, Alabama Georgia they go 12 and 0. They obviously have to play each other in the SEC Championship. One of these teams loses. I'm not going to even say who you think is going to win, who you think is going to lose. But we have seen like a reluctance, especially last year when I think a lot of people like myself included, I remember Kirk Herbstreit was banging the table on this. Georgia should have got in last year. And I think the reluctance was they don't want two teams from the same conference in again, specifically the same two teams who did it the year before and who could do it this year with Alabama and Georgia. So do you think that the committee is completely against this kind of idea of two SEC teams, especially maybe in this scenario where one of them has one loss, but then they were 12 and 0 up until this point and you still think that they're a better team than one of these one-loss conference champions? Well, I want to stop you there because Georgia, didn't they have, they, didn't they already have a loss at that point last year? They did, but I think there was still a lot of people who believed that they were a better team than I think it was Notre Dame I, who got in. Yeah, I know. but I, I think the argument was Notre Dame versus Georgia. But I think if they, ha- if they had just one loss, I think they would have made it. I think that wouldn't have even been a question yeah i guess well i don't know probably one of maybe last year was a different scenario because notre dame was undefeated and it's yeah, tough exactly. to just leave a 12 and 0 team out but i just meant in like i just think it's i think it's extremely plausible that alabama and georgia go undefeated this year i it's they're possible two, they're two top three teams they have talent think, you, all over you don't the think field. florida could t- you don't think florida can take a game from georgia um if I had to predict right now, probably not. I don't think they would. I would think Georgia wins that. But, yeah, you know, obviously the problem with them, go, both of these teams going undefeated, is they play in the toughest, toughest conference in the nation in the SEC. So both of these teams are going to have tough games. Texas A&M is also a pretty highly ranked team this year. They're going to have Jimbo Fisher leading the helm, and they're going to be, I think they're number 12. So they're, they're going to see Alabama and Georgia, I think. Uh, Georgia also plays Notre Dame. Georgia has a tough schedule as well. So I don't know. I was, I'm just trying to think of scenarios because I, I like that this committee had, I think the 14 playoff has been a huge success. Obviously there's really debate has. all over the place on which team should have made it. Of course the Baylor TCU year when they had the co-conference champions and neither of them made it. And I just think it's brought so many like great debates to college football. Yes. And just like no. the pre, the pre-show for like, the the four team playoff reveal is oh, just it's so amazing. Good. It's, it's so amazing. Good. Every year it's they so kill good. it. So oh, I just like, like I like thinking of scenarios like this. Like 
you could have there's a realistic scenario where Alabama Georgia is 13 and 0, Alabama is 12 and 1, and Alabama is fighting for a playoff spot against a one-loss Ohio State or a one-loss Michigan team or a one-loss Texas team. You know what I mean? So listen, that's months to come, long ways to come, but I just I want to get your brain going a little bit on what could be going down reason, in November. The reason why it's so hard to predict is because it literally comes down to one game. Like one game, one team loses just out of nowhere. Or one game, one team should have won but didn't. It's like it, it comes down to yeah. a variety of factors. Like if one one of those top 10 teams diverts from the expectations even a little bit, it screws everything up. It throws everything out of order. And that's what makes it so great. So we kind of got away from it. I just want to just get the final say on this. Do you think the committee would be willing to put in two SEC teams this year? Like if they both, if one has a one loss and the other is undefeated, yes. And if that one loss, if if we're 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 talking with the pretense of them both going undefeated, Georgia losing one game to the best, basically, I'm assuming the best mm-hmm. team best ranked team in the country in Alabama. Yes, I think they would put them in the top four. But if they lose another game, that's where where things get a little Yeah, iffy. of course, of course. I think you I I absolutely agree. I think those teams should be. I just think the committee is going to be very reluctant to put in two teams in the same conference. Cuz you know, one thing I don't like, I feel like there's also a bit of like politicalness inside of these committees cuz just think they they say they can't have like allegiances or whatever, but there are members from like each conference who get to vote on these playoff teams or former, maybe not they're still in the conference, but like, hey, a former Big Ten commissioner is going to be on the committee this year or something like that. That could happen and that could that kind of mentality could sway their vote. So I just hope the committee goes into this year. How they like that year? I think it was 2017 where it, they did put in two SEC teams when it was Bama and Georgia. And I remember that was such a crazy night because the night before, Nick Saban goes and campaigns for Alabama to get into the college football playoff because they didn't, I don't know if you remember, they lost to Auburn that year, and then they have to, they don't get to play the SEC championship. Georgia plays, and Georgia wins it. Yeah, I remember They beat this. Auburn. And so Nick Saban doesn't have a game to play, so he goes on Scott Van Pelt Sports Center and is like, oh, yeah, this is why Bama this. needs to get in. And it, like I just love stuff like that, and it's it happened then with two SEC teams, and I think it's plausible it happens this year. And I just hope the committee is willing to realize, hey, forget conferences, forget. Obviously, you want to take into account all the conference championships and all that and all that stuff, but let's get down to the four best teams and let's let them go at it this year. I think okay. So to respond to that, I think. I think what you're saying about them care, I'm not going to deny, like, they don't care. I don't have, like, the information on me to, like, say otherwise, like, that they don't care. I think it comes down, like, okay, there's a point where it becomes indefensible to take them out. And that's basically, in the, I feel like an un, a scenario where there's an undefeated Alabama and there's a Georgia with one loss to Alabama. That, that's a scenario you can't deny Georgia a spot. In the playoff, with because okay, you look at all the other teams with one loss that are potentially out there, or even zero losses. Are you really gonna fault them for losing to the best team of the country? And it depends on the the 
you know, the game itself. Like if it's a mm-hmm. blowout or if it's a close game. But if, assuming it all goes like last year and it's a close game against Alabama, the best team in the country, how are you going to fault them for that? How are you going to take them off of that? There's literally no better way to lose than against a close game against the best team in the country. So I don't see how you can just leave them out just because like it's an undeniable like loss that that you can't leave them out of the um it's an uh, like you can't deny them a spot in the playoffs just because they lost to the best team in the country by like two points. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that 100%. And to I guess to wrap it up here uh, we got these top four. We got these top ten teams, and a lot of them are gonna play each other over the course of the season, which is they're they're gonna kind of knock each other out. So it's it. This college football season has a lot of like a lot of wild cards. I feel like this year, which makes it for a really interesting race. Yep. And uh, I had one more point. I'm trying to think of it. I think I think I might have just lost it. It might be gone, but uh. All right, it's all right. Yeah, all right, Peter. That point, but uh, I guess let's get on to another topic, which has, you know, every other sports show. This, this is why you got to stick with us, because every other sports show has been leading in with this nonsense that's been going on inside Oakland with this guy in a helmet, and it's like, you know, we we don't really we don't got to worry about that till midway through the show over here, but we do have a big Raiders guy over here, so. You know uh What's going on with this guy? Like, why won't he wear the helmet? Okay. Well, he did wear the helmet today. That's the big plot twist. That's the big plot twist. But the media won't tell you that, though. The media will will just keep that on the hush because AB's got to be the bad guy. But he wore the, he wore the helmet today, and according to Gruden, he's he's all in. But the like, I just hate how like people hate AB to the point where they're willing to defend the NFL. And that's just really, like, shocking to me. Like, you hate this player. Like, like, do you know how hard it is to get people to stand up for the NFL? Do you understand that? And this guy, and AB has managed to do that through this sequence of events. Like, full-blown, like, like, full-blown into a balloon, no pun intended the hot air balloon but um blown up into this balloon by the media and i really don't think it's a big deal and honestly for the and i'm not even saying this just because he's on my team if anything this this take is like at the expense of my team because my team is suffering as a result of the issues going on in this in this like whole situation but i think ab is actually justified in what he's doing Do you have any like? Do you want to start off like? I know we're gonna argue on this, but I think he's justified in what he's doing. I really, I truly believe that. Listen, if he has a problem with the helmet, and he really listen, there are other people who have Tom Brady has come out and said he doesn't like this new helmet. Pretty sure Rogers also had something to say about the helmet. There are guys who from who have played longer than nine, ten years have their helmets and. They, they love them, and that's, that's how, what they're used to. If you want to fight for the helmet, that's fine. But to mispractice 
and to just cause this huge media circus around your team. I, I, I don't see how you can defend that. I mean, Antonio Brown comes into the, the league as a six-round draft pick. One of the, Even though, listen, I hope people don't take this to really like uh, go at his character, even though it, it, it kind of discomfort. I know, it's because he was, happened. he's, listen, it has been said by so many people, he's one of the most hardest working players in the NFL. And that, that I feel like that's known around the league in league circles and, and media. All the all these receivers, former Steelers players, will come out and say, "Yeah, AB worked his tail off." And you ha- you can't do nothing but respect that. But here he is doing the opposite of that, and he's not working. He's skipping out on practice over a helmet issue, and I I just I don't see how that is gonna help him get this helmet thing resolved. I. I don't know. I feel like if you just show up, I guess he doesn't want to show up wearing the helmet. At, I guess he he's showing his hand there. But I mean, come on. I, I don't think it's that big of an issue. I, I can't step in his shoes and say, oh, you know, your, your helmet's not a big deal. Just use the new one to go on. Obviously, he's accustomed to it. But you already got hard knocks on, on uh, documenting everything your team is going through for this past training camp. Now you got to cause another distraction that this team who is coming off a four win season just truly does not need. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to break this down and nobody's going to like what I'm about to say. They're going to say, Oh, you're a Raiders fan. But if you look at the reports, if you look at the recaps by beat writers on this training camp, they, it has not been nothing but a positive atmosphere there. When AB shows up, he shows up. Everybody gives him, daps him up. Everybody's glad he's there. When he's not there, nobody mentions his name. It is not a topic of discussion at all. So to say it's a distraction is really not true. And if you watch Hard Knocks, a lot of people watched Hard Knocks because they thought it was going to be a train wreck. And if you watch Hard Knocks right now, I actually watched 30 minutes of Hard Knocks before this started. And that camp, like, and you, and you're, and you know Hard Knocks is not afraid to show if something goes like, awry or something everything has been smooth sailing it has not been drama filled at all it has been so peaceful and it's such a great atmosphere i'm actually proud of my team for that so but and second of all i agree with what you're saying about the helmet not being that big of a deal but i appreciate the fact that antonio brown is not giving the nfl an inch in terms of something he believes should be his decision and I'll tell you why. Because I think, even though I, I, I actually believe there is something wrong with Antonio Brown, mentally, whether that's in a good or a bad way. Maybe he's just very egotistical as a person. Maybe he just loves the spotlight. There's something, there's something off there. There's something that, that it, maybe it makes him a better person. Maybe it makes him a better player. But something in his mind is just not on the same wavelength as everybody else. And the way he fights the NFL over the littlest issues, the the league needs a player like that. Because the NFL, the last thing, the last thing in the player's interests that should be done is for everybody to sit down and say, even if I don't like this, I'm willing to sacrifice it if it means I get to do my job. There should be a player that says, you know what? I don't like this. 
I don't like this and I'm just going to fight with you over it until you let me have it. Because even if you think the NFL is right in this situation, they're not always right. And anybody can tell you that for a fact. And when it comes to these issues, they should expect some pullback. We talked about this in previous podcasts, how this is a very owner centric league as it is now. If we want it to be more player centric, we need to have more players taking a stand for what they believe in like this. Even if it's about a helmet, even if it's about something as small as the cleats you're wearing. If you are unhappy with something, the players should express their displeasure with it and be given as amount as most of a choice as they can. Now for this for this situation, it's a different question because it comes down to the player safety in general. But in terms of the scope, the wide scope of issues that plague the NFL, I think this is something that's going to help it in the long run. Honestly, I'll give you that. That's a fire point you just made. They they should fight a little bit. But is is it worth missing practice over? Is it worth like you say it didn't cause a distraction, but Mike Mayock had to come out and pretty much give an emphatic statement, say, "Hey, AB, you're either all in or you're all out." You don't think that you don't think something prompted him to come out and say that? I think there definitely is a sort of a distraction that he he's casting on this team, whether it's shown in hard knocks or not. And listen, it, you really did make a great point. I agree. AB should be fighting the NFL if he really believes this helmet. It because it really isn't that small of an issue as everyone thinks. Like. Listen, he's the one playing. He's the one who puts it on and he wants to be able to exactly. be comfortable in it. So it's not that it's a big issue, but it's not necessarily the smallest issue. There's definitely smaller issues he could go to bat over. But at the same time, I don't think this issue is big enough where it's worth causing a big distraction to your team and even missing practice time over it. Hey, guess what? You know, he's in a, he's in a brand new system now. He's been with the Steelers for eight to nine years now. Nine years, I I don't. I can't tell. Eight or nine years. I don't know exactly. He's twenty. I think it's he was nine drafted. years because he always he always brings up that it's been like nine years he's been wearing okay. this helmet. So like. So then yeah, nine, nine years, years with the Steelers, and guess what? Now he's on a completely new team. There's a going to be a new new kind of verbiage, new offensive system that he's going to have to run through, and I just think missing team meetings and and missing practices isn't going to help that team. Isn't going to help you progress with that team. Okay, so. Let's break this down point by point. In terms of Mike Mayock, I think it was very important that Mike Mayock in particular was the one that made that statement. He wanted to keep that as far away from what the team was actually doing as possible. He's the general manager. It wasn't by Gruden. It wasn't by any of the players. It wasn't by any of the the personnel that deals with the players on the field directly. I think it was very important that Mike Mayock made that statement because He's the one who deals with the business end of the, of the team, and he should ensure that all the players are there, are, are you know, welcome with the situation that they're dealt with the team. So I don't think it's that much of a distraction. He just wanted confirmation that Antonio Brown was going to be there for the team. I Throughout this entire process, I think Antonio Brown has made it clear that it's not about the Raiders themselves. I think people like got the NFL and the Raiders conflated into one party, but the Raiders have been very supportive of him throughout the entire process. And I think he appreciates that. And that's why when he was asked to show up the next few days, he showed right up and the next point. So wait, what, what else did you say? I I know you had another point there that, that you made Uh, that he has to go through a new system now. Okay. 
I'm not, I am not worried about Antonio Brown's ability to play football. He is not going to play a preseason game. All he has to do is be there. And I agree with you. But that's the problem. He's not always there, though. No, no, no. no. Okay. That's, I was about to agree with you. I was about to agree with you. Like, I, the one thing that made me a bit upset with him was the fact that he wasn't there while this whole thing was going on. But now, once he was called upon, he was told, you have to be there. You have to be here to show that you're all in. He's been there ever since. He's been here the past two days at training camp. He's been in the weight room. He's been doing the stretches. He put on the helmet today. It's a it's a show sign of progress of progress and good faith between him and the organization. And I think he's made it very clear that his intentions are to play week one for the Oakland Raiders. And I'm not super worried about it. Obviously things can change. He's he's A B. He he runs at his own wavelength. We don't know exactly what's gonna happen with him. But as of right now, I'm fairly confident that he's going to be there on week one. Listen. If there is no more peeps from Antonio Brown, like nothing, nothing like threatening retirement, nothing like missing practices and games and stuff. If none of that happens for the rest of the year, for the rest of his contract with the Raiders, this will be nothing more than just a training camp story that got everyone's attention. Like he he's in control of it now. I feel like Mike Mayer coming out and saying that was a really good good move by him and it's a good move by Antonio Brown by saying hey listen I am all in here by showing up the next couple of these but now if he the way he's been trending though it seems like this isn't going to be the last time we heard of him and I really hope it, it is because I just want to go back to watching Antonio Brown play football because I know that's what he's best at he's an I, people want to disrespect him like he's not one of the top flight receivers in the league he's been the best receiver in the league for the past three to four years now and to think that he's just going to, he's getting a little up there in age, but he still has a couple more prime years left in him. And he's going to, he's going to blow out this year. I know, but I just hope this, this nonsense, this, this all this off the field stuff just finally comes to an end. I, I don't think it's going to stop. If I'm being completely honest with you, I think there's going yeah, to be, neither do new, I. I think there's going to be new stuff that's going to, that's going to come up. I apparently, from what I've seen, from from the um from the information I've seen, that the Raiders always expected him to um to be somewhat of a character for them. He they just didn't expect it this soon. So I I don't I don't really doubt that it's gonna happen again. But as long as he's on the field and he's producing for us and he has no problems with the organization itself, to be honest, it's all semantics to me. It's all non-factors. As long as it does not impact his play on the field. Or the way the team plays on the field. That's just my opinion. Alright, so let's. I think we're done there. Antonio Brown, j- 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 just stop being a weirdo for a few. How about that? Nah, I, I, I like him. He, he seems like a cool guy past, past it all. Yeah, nah, I, I would agree with that too. But let's just let's, let's worry about like playing football and stuff and not just causing a huge ruckus for the team. That's all I could say about that. But... We have another kind of topic that we want to get into here, which was we're going to list our top five quarterbacks in the NFL. And uh, I feel like we're going to have very similar lists, but uh, I say let's just go for it. And I'm going to start with mine and what we'll eventually explain through after Uh, my first. I think the best quarterback in the NFL today is Tom Brady. And I know it's kind of crazy to say, like, 
Tom Brady. He's he's kind of like stats wise and like if you look if you look at his like regular season numbers, he's really not there amongst the elite quarterbacks anymore. But throw that stuff out the garbage right now. Like it's just so irrelevant with this guy because he knows how to win football games. He's just better at that than literally any other quarterback who has touched a football. The past three seasons, he's gone to a Super Bowl. And guess what? In the year 2018, he threw for 500 yards in a Super Bowl. So it's not like he's like, <laughs> he's not done yet. He's not completely done, even though he's 42 years old. This guy is just, he's the, he's the best we've ever seen. And I still think I'm not going to take him away out of the number one spot until he really shows me he's on some some really heavy downfall stuff, which I'm sorry, he just won a Super Bowl last year, so I'm not ready to take it away from him. Number two, I went Aaron Rodgers. And I just think if you look at the past decade and in terms of the NFC playoff picture, Aaron Rodgers kind of dominated that in the sense that he's usually been in the playoffs and he's usually won a game or two. If not, of course, the decade started off with Aaron Rodgers winning a Super Bowl in 2011. So I just think he's always there and he's just he's one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. The way he can roll out the pocket and just fire strikes from any kind of angle is just it's something like we've never seen before. And I think he's going to be ready to take that top spot very shortly. After that, I'm going to go Drew Brees at number three. And I feel like Brees has had like a mini resurgence over the past couple of years as the 2015-2016 seasons kind of ended with the Saints being this great offensive team, but really bad defensive team. But Breeze, at the end of the day, he wasn't... I don't want to say he wasn't doing enough to get them in position to win because that defense was pretty bad. But, you know, they were, they were a middling team for a couple of years. And since 2017, the Saints have been the team to reckon with in the NFC. They've been dominating. They went to the NFC Championship last year. They go to the divisional round the year before. And two, they are two heartbreaking losses away from being a Super Bowl team. And Drew Brees could be holding up his second ring. He also had an MVP caliber season last year. And he's still at the top of his game. So I wanted to keep him three. Number four, I'm going to throw Patrick Mahomes in there. Now, I I wish we... St- I, I'm kind of an idiot. I wish we started off by saying our like kind of the the guidelines for what we were gonna do this top five so it's pretty much an overall look from the past like you know their their entire careers but obviously with an eye towards the future and kind of project like how they're gonna end up being and like combine that with like their their proven production on the field already Patrick Mahomes throws for 5,000 plus yards and 50 touchdowns I don't know what else (laughs) who else does that in their first year it's just a ridiculous stat line he had last year. He was a video game last year, and I think he's going to continue to be that way, and he's he's the future of the quarterback position as everyone is trying to emulate him now and everyone is trying to get the next Patrick Mahomes. So he's definitely, he's for that reason, he has to be a top five. And then number five, are you ready for this, Nick? Go ahead. I am going with Matty Ice himself. As the fifth best quarterback. Wow, I know mm. someone who's very happy right now. Yes, shout out Joe right now. He missed this week's this episode of the podcast, but I know he's going to be hyped to hear me say Matt Ryan as my fifth best quarterback. I just think Matty Ice has played at a consistently high level for 
if you want to go back to his MVP season, he had an this past season he had his pretty much the same numbers. And I know I feel like that point has been driven into the ground by everybody who talks about Matt Ryan, but it's it's a valid point. He had the better numbers this year than he did in his MVP season. And obviously, you know, when MVP because the Falcons are a seven to nine team, but he 2017, he was a great quarterback as well. He led them to 11 and five record, get the, gets them to the divisional round against the Eagles. I think Matt Ryan just performs at a consistently high level. And I think he is a guy that I want late in the game to get me down the field. And hey, let's if we need a touchdown right here, Matt Ryan to Julio Jones, it doesn't get much better than that, in my opinion. And I think the Falcons are, he's going to lead the Falcons to a little bit of a resurgence like the Saints had uh, the past couple of years. So that's my top five, Nick. Let's hear yours. Okay, so I have some similar names as you, and I'm not going to get like recap, like go in depth, like, because I'll, I'll repeat a lot of what you said, but I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet when it comes to some of these names. So number one, I have, like you, Tom Brady, um, greatest quarterback of all time. Um, he's playing till he's 45. I hope NFL fans are ready for that. He's not slowing down. He's, he's Tom Brady. Um, so yeah, let's get that out of the way. Number two. Now this is where our lists different, differ a little bit. I have Mahomes at number two. So that's a, it was a tough one, but I have Mahomes at number two because like, okay. The obvious argument against that is like, okay, it's his first year, but how much worse? How how bad could he get from that year? Like what 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 kind of like downgrade or second year slump? Well, third year technically, I guess if you want to be very technical. Like what kind of sophomore slump would you have to have for for you to not be at least an elite QB in this league with those types of numbers? It just doesn't make sense to me. Like I can't see him falling off that much to where I wouldn't at least consider him top 5. And for me, that already makes him top two since I'm already considering him in that in that class of names like that. Just the just how highly I consider him in the, how high of a regard I consider him. Already if I can step him. in uh, to people listening to this podcast, me and Nick go way back. We, we love sports for our whole lives and we always text each other about sports. The 2017 draft, Nick was on Mahomes. Wow. The whole time. This. Okay. I'm not. I have to give you this because, like, I liked Mahomes, but I always thought, you know, he he was going to be a gunslinger, I and mean, he is a gunslinger. But I always thought I expected a lot more interceptions and a lot of more like crazy throws that didn't always work out in his favor. But you were very high on Mahomes, and you thought he was worth the top ten pick in that year's draft. So I got to give it up to you. you. You called that one, and now he's a chief. That's the reward, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Okay, let me move on to number three. <laughs> number three, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, at a lot of my points in my life, I, I consider the greatest QB I've ever watched. More, probably the most talented. Well, well, we'll see how Mahomes like unfolds. But like I said, I have a lot of high expectations for him. But Rodgers, as of right now, is the most talented QB I've ever watched. And uh, there's nothing more to say. Just the way... He, he operates as a quarterback. It's just like nothing I've ever seen. It's so smooth. It's so like effortless. He makes everything look so easy. 
and like he it's just it's just an every well it is an everyday thing for him but it's just it's just normal and it shouldn't be normal what he does and like consider this last year was considered a bad season for him and he had 25 touchdowns and two two interceptions that's insane and he's gonna have more weapons this year he's gonna have a, a better defense behind him and i can't wait like what what we're gonna see for him and he could easily take that to a spot back like he, he could definitely do that so moving on to number four drew Brees. now the only reason I have Drew Brees at number four, they're basically, in, as of right now, basically Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees are interchangeable for me. But Aaron Rodgers, I've, it's probably just a little bit of like a, a fanboy thing because I've always liked Aaron Rodgers and I've always seen him as just that great talented, this greatly talented QB. But Drew Brees also fell off. A little bit at the end of last year, made it to an NFC Championship game. Can't fault him that much, but yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing more of a decline from Drew Brees than from Aaron Rodgers. But that could change. Drew Brees could shut me up next season and be great, and I will not be surprised. Now, number five, this is where we differ entirely. You have Matty Ice. I have Russell Wilson. Now, if you want to talk about a body of work, Russell Wilson has a great body of work. Just year after year, consistently great, always leading his team into playoff contention. I don't, and even when the team around him, even when the supporting cast around him isn't that spectacular, he always finds a way to put his team in games and win. And I think that's the most important part about it because we, when we're talking about Tom Brady at the number one spot, like we're we're talking about how he wins games and how he's always he he's producing consistent greatness for his team, and I think Russell Wilson does something very similar, and sometimes it goes under the radar. Obviously, it's not to the point of like <laughs> like half a dozen Super Bowl wins or just being like the greatest QB of all time, but he is on what I value in any athlete, not just football players, is consistency, and that's what Russell Wilson always brings for me: consistency. I get. If there's any QB, I would consider him amongst one of the most reliable QBs in the NFL. And that's why he sneaks in to my five spot among some other names. Damn. So it was pretty interesting how we both talked like from we just got very long winded just to agree on four quarterbacks being on our top five. But I think I think we both brought up some good points and I I for me, I was debating between Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson, so I, I can't even fault you there because I think Russell Wilson, like you said, the consistency is unparalleled. Even though I do think this is not really related to him, but his team, I think he lost. You losing Doug Baldwin is just, I don't know how he recovers from that this year. That Seahawks uh, receiving core does not look very exciting unless DK Metcalf turns out to what people th- think that his combine uh stats would show uh I, I see a bit of a decline for the seahawks this year it could happen like i said i, I it won't be because of russell wilson if they fall off i think russell wilson's gonna be great regardless i just mm-hmm. he's very reliable i think he'll work with whatever he's got and put them at least in a position where they're gonna be contending for a playoff spot i honestly believe that so quickly let's just do this really quickly one quarterback who you think by the end of the 2019 season, 
will jump into your top five. Let's, let's maybe let's get a little bold here. Uh, let's see if we can uh, come up with so many interesting names. Do you have one? So a guy I keep thinking back to who like I really wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being the MVP of the, this year. Baker Mayfield. And I know oh that's like God. a lot well, of people would just, like don't. <laughs> I'm just saying with all those weapons, it's extremely plausible that Baker Mayfield takes because guess what? Carson Wentz went from 2016 to, hey, that, that was a really promising rookie season. Good job, Carson Wentz, to 2017. Wow, this guy's the MVP. And then, of course, he goes out with the knee injury that stops him. But everyone everyone knows that up until that po- up until the injury, he was the clear-cut MVP. And I think Baker Mayfield has the talent. I think this guy can really rip the ball. And when you have Odell, Jarvis Landry, Kareem Hunt, uh, Nick Chubb, David Njoku, who's gonna people like just completely forget about Njoku, who's really stepped stepped up as a solid tight end in this league. I just think this guy has so many weapons, and I can see him winning. Like he's gotta be like for dark horse MVP candidates. I gotta think Baker's up there. And listen, if he wins that, then you know why can't we talk about him as a top five quarterback? Oh no. Let's 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 let the season play out first. Yeah, no, no, but I, you know, we were, we were talking bold, so you know, I wanted to go and step out on a limb here. Okay, mine, my, I, I guess mine isn't as bold, but I'm gonna go with Jared Goff. I'm gonna go with Jared Goff. Okay, um, no, nah, no, nah, that's that's kind of bold, actually. A lot of people are iffy on Goff. No, well, I, I was about to say after the Super Bowl game, um, like you know, people are gonna be are gonna be down on him a bit, like. And that game wasn't entirely his fault, but let, let me tell you something. He's going to be learning from that game. He's learning every year. Every year Jared Goff has been into the league, he, there has been a drastic improvement. And I don't think we should expect anything different from this year. He's still a young quarterback. He's still learning the game. He has, he has a great coach that has his back. I think, I think he's going to learn more. From an experience like that against Tom Brady and the Patriots is not gonna go un is not gonna go unnoticed by a growing quarterback in this league. I think he's gonna step up. I think he's gonna he's just gonna evolve more as a quarterback. I, I can't I can't really think of any specifics, but I think he can improve on his decision making a little bit. And he makes he makes some dumb mistakes at times. And I think as he grows more experienced, that's gonna be wiped more from his game and i think that's really all he needs to do he, he just has a lot of dumb mistakes and a lot of like really bad decisions throwing the ball and as soon as he eases more into that he grows more experienced in that system and he becomes supremely confident in what he can do as a quarterback i don't think there's anything stopping him in that offense like he he just because he has the arm talent for it he has all the talent in the world he's a pretty mobile guy he's a pretty athletic guy for for the QB position, and I think once once he gets past those those small stupid errors that that young QBs make, like some QBs go into the league right away and and they're just naturals. But I think Jared Goff was always seen as someone who needed more development before they got, he got to that stage, and so far he's been on track. And I think this year could be the year that he steps up. Well, if you want anyone to help with development, Sean McVay is your guy. I don't think he gets much better than him as this quarterback offensive guru. 
I think when you have a guy like Sean McVay, it's definitely plausible to take a huge step up. Now, those are just bold predictions. I, I, I don't know if we realistically expect those guys to end up being top five, but I think it's plausible that they can make the jump. And I agree with you. Goff is definitely a candidate. I think Baker can be. A guy like Carson Wentz, who was an MVP candidate a yeah, couple that's years why I didn't ago. Include him. Yeah, I was gonna think. I I was originally gonna say Wentz, but it's just like I feel like that's, you know, he's a lot of people are down on him too with the injury history. But I I think if you if you've been watching Carson Wentz, you know what that guy's made of. I think the Eagles are gonna go on a crazy run this year, and he's gonna remind people of who he is. But um, yeah. So that's I guess we'll finish up our quarterbacks, and I think we'll wrap it up with this just a little quick preview let's get back into some baseball stuff we got the two best teams in the majors playing off this weekend our beloved 27 time winning world champion new york yankees are going into la to play the dodgers this weekend now uh so i looked at the matchups they do have to play ryu on friday Saturday, I, I can't even, I don't know anything about the guy the Dodgers are pitching. And then Sunday, they're throwing Kershaw. But, man, I was just looking at those matchups and I'm saying to myself, wow, we cannot really match up with Ryu or Kershaw, can we? Um, I, I've said this in a previous podcast. I think we have the talent in pitching to, to match up with those guys. But the, the talent is just not translating to the performance right now i think they need to step up no time better time to step up than august that's that's the really the only thing i care about in these games like i i just want to see how these players perform going into preseason and i mean not preseason <laughs> postseason i have football on my mind um uh, yeah i i'm trying to i, I want to see how these players are going into pre i mean postseason again wow um, you're really football, trying to get spring training going, aren't you? Fo- no, football's just really on my mind right now. Like, I I just watched 30 minutes of Hard Knocks before we recorded this. You know, it's just, it's just flood in my mind. But yeah, so when it comes, I just want to see them, like, show what they're made of before postseason. So when we get to postseason, I'm going to be confident that they can pitch some good baseball so we can get some wins over teams that might have more accomplished pitching staffs for the season like the Dodgers and like like when it comes to these two teams in general I I don't really care about the outcome of the series if I'm being honest I I don't like we're locked for a playoff spot all they need to show me is that the pitching is going to be good we can hit against this pitching and we're going to have a good shot to take on the Dodgers and other elite teams during the postseason that's what well I'll tell you why you should care because guess what? Whoever wins the series is going to be in the driver's seat for a home field advantage in the World Series should these two teams meet. And I think the Yankees, you need home. Especially this kind of series. I mean, I know the Dodgers have been doing it. Especially last year, they had to travel east coast to the Red Sox. But that's a pretty grueling trip in the middle of October in postseason baseball to go across the country. And I think you want to have that Game 7 in your house. So... This is actually, uh, in my opinion, it is a pretty big series. And I I just, starting pitching-wise, I don't see how we match up with them. Even a guy like Herman is, is starting Sunday against Kershaw. And Herman, I have confidence in... Can I point something he, out? What? Herman is 16-2. He is 16-2. Herman, 
is also I, I'm pretty sure they took him out, but in the midst of getting rocked by the A's as well. Really? Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just this. I feel like a lot of those. Listen, that's a great record. It's a sick record, but I feel like he's a pitcher who will give up maybe three to four runs, which is control with with the Yankees. That's all you need, honestly. If you can get three to four runs and the Yankees put up five, six, seven, maybe the bats go off, we're gonna get you a win, especially with the bullpen. But but against better teams. Exactly against better teams, I don't know how how much that's gonna fly, and that's this worries me a lot with the starting pitching. Sevy's getting back soon, so it's it's gonna be exciting to see him back. But I think we gotta prove it this weekend. And listen, it's gonna be fun seeing Judge and Bellinger go at it to premier players. Even though Judge is he's had a really tough season this year, but yeah, I think he's gonna shake it off eventually. Gary Sanchez getting back on it. He had a home run today. Yep, I saw that. This is a big series for both teams, I think, just because I think they want to, even if they don't face it in the World Series, this isn't a guarantee the Yankees and Dodgers are going to play in the World Series, but this is the highest competition each team is going to face in the regular season. And I think they want to be able to show up for this and and ball out and show what they're actually made of. Yeah, those are good points. I have nothing, nothing more to say about that. Well... I have something else to say. Let's go Yankees. And uh, yeah, I think I think we're all done. You got any other uh, weird Raiders points you want to bring up? Um, Darren Waller. Don't sleep on Darren Waller. Watch I- the latest Hard Knocks episode. Episode three. Um, wow. You said don't sleep. It's funny because I'm about to go to sleep after after listening to that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, any uh, nothing else, Nick? Nope, I'm good. Just Dar- right. Darren Waller. Well, Darren Waller, <laughs> if you're listening to this, have a good night. And uh, we hope the rest of you guys have a good night. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. And we will catch you sometime later this week with another episode. Darren Waller, we're going to get your Madden rating up. Don't worry about it. No, we're not. He's out. We're definitely not. Wow. We're definitely not. Okay. No, no. Okay. Goodbye.